In the 16 general elections in India since independence in 1947, there has never been anything quite like this one. To appreciate the present electoral shock to the Indian body politic, it's first necessary to get a perspective on the past. Of course, the 1977 general election did result in some huge shocks too. Jawaharlal Nehru's daughter, Prime Minister Indira Gandhi, belatedly called the election after six years instead of the normal five, expecting that given the continuing discord between numerous opposition parties, the people would ratify her 1975 declaration of an emergency and her attempt to impose a degree of authoritarian rule over India's sometimes anarchical democracy. Indira's expectation brilliantly illustrated the high degree of psychophancy which her authoritarianism had brought about among the dynastic elite. She quickly became the first and so far the only sitting Prime Minister to lose her Lok Sabha seat. Her eldest son, Sanjay Gandhi, already seen as her successor, also lost his. Her party, the Indian National Congress, lost a total of 217 seats, although it still managed to retain 189. A loose coalition of opposition parties, the Janata Dal, led by Muraji Desai, altogether won 298 seats and formed the first non-Congress government in India. But the habits of opposition died hard. The Janta coalition continuously squabbled among themselves and the new government made the basic mistake of seeking unity through persecuting Indira Gandhi rather than coming together to pursue fresh policies. The result of all the political discord was that the former opposition, now in government, achieved the almost impossible feat of eventually making the electorate nostalgic for Indira's past strong government. So it took only three years for Indira Gandhi and the Indian National Congress to win back control of both parliament and government, gaining slightly more seats in the 1980 general election than those that had been lost in 1977. Having learnt her lesson in 1977, would Indira have sustained her dominance after her 1980 victory? Would Sanjay Gandhi have further extended dynasty dominance? Instead, a plane crash, two assassinations, plus continuing opposition disunity combined to influence the pattern of Indian national politics. Sanjay died when his private plane crashed in 1980. Indira's second son, Rajiv, until then a politically disinterested commercial pilot, was brought into the line of dynastic succession. He led the Congress to one of its great election victories in 1984, following the assassination of Indira Gandhi, which aroused a massive sympathy vote. But after staying Prime Minister for five years, Rajiv Gandhi then lost the 1989 general election, ushering in another brief period of disunity between opposition parties in power prior to Rajiv's own assassination as he campaigned in the 1991 general election. In retrospect, the period between the 1991 and 1996 general elections foreshadowed future developments. 
On the one hand, for the first time, a non-dynastic personality led a Congress government for five straight years, with former Foreign Minister Narasimha Rao being the Prime Minister. At the same time, the Bharatiya Janata Party, the Indian People's Party, emerged as the main opposition party, with party veteran L.K. Advani acting as the leader of the opposition. But progress was not continuous, as for three years, from 1996 to 1998, the old opposition rivalries and uncertainties asserted themselves. Finally, a crucial insight resulted in both the BJP and the Congress finally realising that they had to form and then maintain coalitions with other like-minded political parties if they were to win national elections and then sustain their parliamentary control. Evidently, the BJP got that message first when it formed a coalition with the dominant party in the southern state of Andhra Pradesh and first formed its NDA, its right-of-centre National Democratic Alliance Coalition. The Congress was slightly slower off the mark with its UPA, the left-of-centre United Progressive Alliance. The NDA won the 1999 general election, marking the very first time that a coalition of political parties both attained an election majority in Parliament and then sustained the government for its full term of five years, with BJP leader Atal Bihari Bajpai being Prime Minister throughout until the 2004 general election. The exit polls after the subsequent 2009 general election at first indicated that the BJP-led NDA had won an election again. But in fact, the Congress-led UPA clearly won both the 2004 and the 2009 general elections. Throughout the 10 years from 2004 to 2014, the Gandhi-Nehru dynasty remained in power, though not in personal charge of the government. Rajiv's widow, Sonia Gandhi, has held the highly influential presidency of the Indian National Congress throughout that period, seeing to it that former university professor and minister of finance, Manmohan Singh, became only the second Indian prime minister after Nehru to serve ten continuous years in office. Her son, Rahul Gandhi, a political novice, neither pushed for nor was encouraged to seek to replace Singh. He was not even formally advanced as the Congress candidate for the Prime Ministership in the 2014 general election that has just taken place, after Singh gave advance notice that he would not be seeking a third term as Prime Minister. The main reason for this was obvious. In the event of a close race, Congress wanted to leave itself free to choose an attractive technocrat as PM in the same way as it had chosen Singh. But this gesture only signalled to the electorate that it was expected to accept whatever the dynasty offered rather than the dynasty providing what the people really wanted. As one Congress leader belatedly admitted, Congress had fallen behind the times and not realised that the Indian electorate wanted the traditional and the conventional replaced by the aspirational. More even than that, Congress was up against a new reality. It faced a highly skilled professional politician who was not merely telling the voters in dynastic fashion what they should do for him, but was instead concentrating on getting across what he would do for them.
So India's just completed 16th nationwide election for the Lok Sabha, the lower, most influential house in the bicameral Indian parliament, was not merely a shock. For Congress, it was a devastation. One simple result revealed the extent of the damage. Whoever ends up being the leader of the Congress party in Parliament will not even be able to claim the title of leader of the opposition. Leader of the opposition requires that a party wins at least 54 seats, 10% of the total. Congress sank from the 206 seats it held in 2009 to a mere 44 held today. Meanwhile, the BJP, the Indian People's Party, did what Congress only achieved in the wake of Indira's and Rajiv's assassinations. The BJP achieved a majority in the Lok Sabha on its own account as it won 282 of the Lok Sabha's 543 seats. The BJP-led coalition, the NDA, won 338 In the Indian and foreign reporting of the election, one personality clearly dominated, just as one usually did in past dynastic victories. He was the recently resigned four-term chief minister of the western state of Gujarat, Narendra Modi, who is due to be sworn in as prime minister by President Pranab Mukherjee this coming Monday, May the 26th. Listeners to our Reflections from Asia will know that wherever possible we like to include some real-life sound related to Asian politics. But in Modi's case this is impossible. He has campaigned almost exclusively in Hindi. The few YouTube examples of him speaking English show him reading from a prepared script and do not indicate at all the vigour and drive he regularly demonstrated on hustings. But luckily I came across a speech Modi delivered in Hindi just after the protracted polls finally closed on May the 12th and helpfully translated by the BJP website into English. So here are a few extracts of this lively speech which do tell you something about the man who from Monday will be leading the world's largest democracy. In the speech, Modi does not waste time claiming victory for the BJP. The biggest festival of democracy has just concluded and in those hundreds of thousands of electronic voting machines lies the verdict of the people of India. Counting of votes takes place on May the 16th, but we already have the undisputed winners, and they are the people of India. Once again, India has won. The power of the ballot has triumphed, and the spirit of democracy has shown itself to be supreme. I would like to express my gratitude to the Indian Election Commission for conducting this mammoth exercise. Modi then gets in a dig at the negative way in which Congress conducted its campaign. History will remember the 2014 election as historic and marking a paradigm shift from conventional electioneering. Normally the party in power sets the agenda for the campaign, but for the first time it was not the case. Far from setting the agenda, the ruling party was neither proactive nor responsive. It was only reactive throughout the campaign. What makes me very happy is the fact that 
our NDA remained firm on our agenda of development and good governance. An election must be fought on positive issues, and I'm glad we were able to alter the discourse in a way that helped people make their choices on the basis of a positive agenda. Modi stressed the fact that an estimated 100 million young people voted for the first time. I want to make a special mention for the increased turnout among youngsters. Way back, voting was not believed to be cool enough for a lot of youngsters. Today, that is history. Voting is cool, and rightly so. One needs to log into Facebook or Twitter on polling day to see the number of selfies my young friends are sharing. Our party, our campaign, and me personally, have gained tremendously from the social media. It became a direct means for information and gave us the much-needed local pulse on several issues without any bias. Modi then notes how social media has limited electoral malpractices. There is one thing for which we have to profusely thank social media. It has caused the downfall of manufactured lies and half-truths at a very early stage. Earlier during elections, we had people whose lies would reach every section of society. In a time when the means of communication were much less, they would get away with their same old speeches and half-baked assurances. Social media has changed all that. In this age of information of social media, the lies that come out of their microphones cannot even get past the podium of their speech venues. Forget about reaching others. More power to social media in the days that lie ahead. Modi ended his speech with a nice rhetorical flourish. This is the right time to look ahead. It's a time to connect with each other. Let's place people over politics, hope over despair, healing over hurting, inclusion over exclusion, and development over divisiveness. It is natural for the spirit of bipartisanship to get temporarily lost amongst the midst of an election campaign, but now is the time to resurrect it. This is the power of democracy. This is the power of Mother India. Exuding hope over despair, Modi has made an unexpected move by inviting Pakistan Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif and all other South Asian political leaders to his swearing in this coming Monday.